Abraham had risked a lot. He left his ancestral home, his family. Um, He was no spring chicken either when he did this. He was 75 years old. I know that 75 is the new 55, but um, it was still pretty old for Abraham to uproot everything and to leave, to start all over. I mean, lots of people start over, but they usually do it when they're 25 or 35 or 45. Not when they're 75, which in Abraham's world was even an old 75. It was more like 105. He uprooted everything, left his home, left his family. Save for his wife and a tag-along nephew Lot. Off he went. Most people don't leave. Start all, all over at this age. And I don't think Abraham would have either, except for one thing. He was desperate. He was desperate. You see, at 75 years of age, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they were happily married. They were obviously in love. Abraham could have taken... Many other wives, but he didn't. He only had his wife, Sarah. He was in love with her. And yet, here they are, at 75 years of age, childless. Now, you might be thinking, those of you who are parents, oh, well, come on now. I mean, it's really not that bad. It's it's a perpetual honeymoon for Abraham and Sarah, you know. They they had a lot to live for. They they didn't have to pay all that camel insurance, you know. And they didn't uh, have school lunches to pay. They saved a lot on college tuition. Maybe not all that bad. You know, there weren't some, you know, negligent children showing up late past curfew. I mean, not that anybody has children here has ever done that, but, um, you know, some might have done that on a time or two. And Abraham and Sarah don't have to worry about those sorts of things. But that's not the case in their world. In their world, to have children meant you were blessed by the gods. See, Abraham lived in a pagan world. And, and you wanted children because that meant the perpetuity of your name and your lineage could go on forever. And, and there was great honor in that. So to have children for people of Abraham's world was, was to be blessed. And the opposite was also true. To not have children in his world was to be cursed. And Abraham and Sarah were among all people, they thought, the most cursed. Until one day, Abraham hears this word, this, uh, this word from heaven. He's all alone and he hears this word and here's what it says. It says, go from your home. Leave your home. Go to the place that I will show you. Somewhere in the future, I'm going to show you. Just go. You'll find out where you're going when you get there. And if you do this, I will do three things for you. I will give you land. I will give you descendants, children. And through you... All the peoples of the earth will be blessed. If you leave, this is what I promise. Abraham hears this all by himself. He's never heard from this deity before. This deity is unknown to him. He has not worshipped this God. And yet, he picks up and he leaves. He heard a word from heaven and he was faced with a choice. Should I trust this word? Should I do what I hear? Or should I not? Should I stay or should I go now? If I stay, there will be trouble. If I go, be dumb. Anybody read The Clash, 1981? Anybody? Okay, come on. Should I stay or should I go? And he decides to go. He risks everything, picks up, and leaves. He decides to trust God. And you would think that in very short order after that event, go, 
here's what I'm going to do for you. That, that Sarah would be bouncing a baby on her knee. That's what you would think, right? I mean, maybe not right away, but certainly within the first year. But one year goes by, two goes by, and three goes by. And even though Sarah's younger than Abraham, she's 10 years younger, she goes from being 65 to 66 to 67 to 68, and still no baby. Any 68-year-olds here looking to have children anytime soon? You know? She's probably thinking, you know, this is not going to happen. Abraham's beginning to think, this is not going to happen. Maybe I was just, maybe I was just delusional. Maybe, maybe I didn't hear this word after all. Maybe I'm just a little crazy. How long do you think you would hold on to that, to that word that you heard? How long would you keep believing that God had made this promise before you said, you know, I'm sorry, but you didn't come through for me. I mean, we had banked a lot on this. You know, we left everything because of this promise and, and you've not come through for me. How long would it be before Sarah began to say to Abraham, Are you sure? Are you sure you heard right? I mean, and, and how long would it be before Abraham says to Sarah, He hasn't called back. I don't know why it's going on. I don't know why this thing isn't happening. I'm sure what I heard. At least I thought I was sure. The lesson today sort of picks up right there. And, and, it, and it begins with God anticipating... Abraham's anxiety. God jumps in and announces something, says something, he begins the conversation. You see, I think with me, it probably would have been God answering a question, you know? Hello? Is anybody up there? Don't you remember what you said? That's not what we get with Abraham. God begins the conversation. God begins and he says, uh, he says to Abraham, remember this? The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. To Abram. It becomes Abraham. Fear not, Abraham. I love it when I hear the words fear not in Scripture. I mean, all through the Bible. Probably the most repeated phrase all throughout Holy Scripture. Fear not. Don't you love it when somebody says that to you when you're afraid and they say to you, don't be afraid. You know, It's like when you're worried and they say to you, don't worry. Yeah, like I can just do that. I can just turn it off like you turn the water off at the sink. I mean... How do you just not worry? How do you just not fear when you're afraid? I mean, it's almost silly to say something. And God anticipates this. Fear not, Abram. Why? I am your shield. I'm your shield and your reward will be great. Now, this, um, this passage is a little tricky here in the translation. Almost all English translations have, fear not, for I'm your shield. And, and that's a really great and comforting metaphor, isn't it? I mean, God is your shield. I mean, imagine that ancient world. You know, people throw arrows at you. I guess you don't throw arrows. You probably shoot arrows. But they, they, they throw spears and shoot arrows. That's what they do. Um, what do you need? You need a shield, right? But in the translation, it's a little trickier. Um, some scholars say this should be translated, I am your benefactor. And that actually makes more sense if you put the whole thing together. Fear not, Abraham, for I am your benefactor and your reward will be great. I mean, it makes sense because in chapter 14, Abraham had just come through this very dicey situation where somebody actually was trying to kill him. He tried to save his, res his he had to rescue his nephew Lot from this uh, captivity and it was kind of like this undercover mission. 
He could have used the shield back then, and God didn't show up and say, I'm your shield then, does He? It's afterward, He says this. So, shield doesn't really make much sense in a physical protection. It also makes better grammatical sense in the sentence. I'm your benefactor. I'm the one who's going to take care of you, and your reward will be great. I'm the one who's going to reward you, and that reward will be great. And of course, there is also the whole surprise motive, you know, that, that Abram says, says to God, uh, you know, what will you give me? I mean, what, am I, what are you going to give me? I, I need something, and, and there's really only one thing I need, and if you're not giving me that, what are you going to give me? And I think that really gets us to the point of this text. Here's the rub. Abraham wonders if he has a future. Do I have a future? God, I have nothing to hold on to. I have no children. I have no heir. And for him, this is the the biggest thing in the world. And, And can you deliver on this biggest problem that I have? Not only to deliver a baby to the childless, but can you bring hope to the hopeless? That's what I want to know. I mean, can you deliver that? And you know what the text says, right? So God takes Abraham outside in the vision. God takes him outside and he says, look up at the sky. And he apparently was not in the Cleveland metro area because you could see stars, right? There weren't clouds hanging all over. And so he says, look up into the sky. It's like Wyoming or Montana. Think of that kind of sky, you know? If you've, if you, big sky. Look at all those stars. I mean, like a, like a big black velvet cloth and diamonds all over. Look at those stars up there. If you can count those, that's how many children you would have. This is what your family is going to be like. Now listen to this. Verse 6. One of the most important verses in all the Bible. Did you know that one of the most important verses in all the Bible, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, entire rest of Scripture hangs on this verse. How big is it? Well, it's huge. How big? Huge. How big? You got it. It's big. It's a very big verse. And Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Walter Brueggemann says, This text poses us the issue of what faith is and how it comes. There is nothing in verses 1 through 5 which amounts to persuasion. Abraham believes God because God says he's going to do it. Not because he demonstrates it. Not because he shows up in some form of power. Not because he does anything to sort of twist Abraham's arm. Look, Abraham, you better believe this. I'm telling you, you better believe it. Not even because he tries to, you know, coddle him. Come on, Abraham, won't you please believe it? You know, I remember when my children were little and you tried to get them to go back to bed after they came in and they were scared. And you would say to him, really, there's no monster in the closet. You know, you go there and you open the closet and you turn on the Look, there's no monster in the closet. God doesn't even do that with Abraham. He doesn't even say, come on, Abraham, believe me. He just makes a promise. And Abraham believes him. And God says, that's good enough. You are righteous because you believe what I say. Bergamon says, nothing changes. Nothing else changed. Abraham did not suddenly feel more vital in his loins. Yikes. Um, he, He says, Abraham did not receive a sudden jolt from his willpower. You'll catch that last line in just a moment. Sarah's belly did not suddenly swell. And Abraham say, look. She's pregnant. None of that happened. 
God spoke, Abraham believed it, and God counted that to him as righteousness. That is what faith is. Faith is hearing the word of God, believing it's true, and ordering our lives accordingly. That's what Abraham does. He, he hears a word from the Lord, he believes it, and he orders his life accordingly. All the lessons today point to the same thing. You heard it in the psalm, didn't you? That the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? It's a rhetorical question, right? No one. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? No one. Nothing. I can fear nothing because God has my back. And He has my front. He's my shield. My fortress. God holds my future. What, can, what shall I be afraid of? Nothing. I'm afraid of a lot of things, right? I'm afraid of spiders for crying out loud. Who then shall I be afraid? I shall be afraid of nothing. St. Paul and Philippians, brothers, join me. Join, rather, in imitating me. Imitate me, St. Paul says. That's a pretty bold thing to say, isn't it? Pattern your life in the same way that I pattern mine. Walk, live, according to the example that you have in us. He makes it plural. Live, order your life in the way that you see faithful people ordering their lives. Take upon these disciplines. Live in this way. Why? Because our present matters. It matters how we live. It matters how we live because it tells us what we really believe. The choices that we make, the day-to-day ways that we, we make decisions, tell us what we really believe. Our future, our belief in a future, alters the way we order our present. That's what Paul says, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. And because of that, we await a Savior who will transform our lowly bodies. That's what faith is. Faith is believing in the promise of God, ordering our lives in the present. Faith is believing that God holds a future for us. Listen, we are future-oriented people. We are not present-oriented people. That's hedonism, right? Living only for the present. We are not past-oriented people. That's traditionalism. Nothing wrong with tradition. What does uh, uh, Pelican say? Tradition is the, um, is the living faith of the dead. But traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. We will not be locked into 1856 or 356 or whatever. We are going to be, we're, we are future-oriented people. God holds our future. Not locked into a moment of hedonism, not locked into worshiping the past, but believing that God leads us into our future. And because God leads us into our future, it makes a difference in how we live now. It changes our present. It alters it. And so the question to us this morning is the same one it was to Abraham. God has made a promise. Do you believe it? And if so, will we order our lives accordingly and live like we believe it? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.